live from the 2019 RMA International Conference at the RIA Resort Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. It's time now for a special episode of the Capital Club Radio Show, broadcasting on the Pro Business Channel Networks. This show made possible in part by Flock Specialty Finance. And now here's your host, Chairman and CEO of Flock Specialty Finance, Michael Flock. Good afternoon from Las Vegas. Today, we're really fortunate to have a well-known leader and successful entrepreneur in the debt buying industry, Scott Lowry, founder of Collect America, which later became Square Two, a major player in the debt buying markets for many, many years. After cashing out of some of his equity in the mid-2000s, Scott left the CEO role and joined the board of Square Two as an advisor to the new president and CEO. Following Scott's leadership and tenure, the company's performance declined. It filed bankruptcy and was sold in 2017 to Resurgent Capital Services, an affiliate of Sherman Financial, for about $250 million. In 2018, Scott personally acquired Galaxy, a major debt buyer and master servicer based in Atlanta. So, Scott, welcome. And I can't wait to read the story or even the mo- see the movie of the roller coaster life you've led in this industry. You've got a rich, rich history and I think lots of future left. So, But let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. You started with a JD from the University of Denver and then started working for your dad. In fact, then I think you said you were working for GMAC collecting what they couldn't that was your first step into this whole world of collections now you didn't dream about this right was, was it sort of just an opportunistic thing or how, how did you get there well michael thank you very much uh, for that introduction and let me just say it's an honor and a joy to be with you this afternoon and i look forward to our next uh, half hour together uh, yeah i went to law school worked for my father as a lawyer a junior lawyer and uh he started doing uh, collection work, and he didn't want to do it, so he gave it to me as a junior lawyer out of out of law school. <laughs> so you got the job. Me. I got the job and started yeah. doing it, and uh, we grew uh, throughout the western part of the country with them and became very successful. Uh-huh. And uh, so, collecting for GMAC was it what you thought it was going to be, or were there some surprises? Or well, there's always surprises, and I didn't know the business at all, so. I probably did it a lot different than I would have done it if I knew what I was going to do, mm-hmm. but I worked really hard. I thought we should collect every account. And um, what I did was I went to all these GMAC branches and said, I'll just do a really good job for you. And, and uh, you know, they had their own attorneys. And I remember go, driving up to Cheyenne and I told this uh, branch manager in Cheyenne how I just beat his attorney and I'd do the best job he ever had. And he said, son, and I remember thinking, oh, this isn't going to be good. And he said, son. I'm sure you'll just do a way better job than my attorney, but every Sunday when, after church, when he and I go to lunch, he goes, what do I tell him? <laughs> and I said, how about giving me the accounts that he gives back to you? And he goes, you got a deal. And I kind of did that approach throughout uh-huh. uh, the western part of the United States. So they gave me all the stuff that had been worked by four or five other law firms and or agencies. Right. Wow, that's a big paradigm shift though you started thinking every account you had to collect can you imagine today if you put the right. same resource on right. every single account <laughs> well i even learned early yeah. on that wasn't going to happen but yeah. uh, that's that was the mentality i don't know why you can't collect every account yeah yeah that's pretty tough and did you put the collection through a legal process or was it did you first have a letter or a phone call or that's a great question so early on law firms did what law firms do which is sue people and, and right. most law firms at that point in time did not have collectors and if they did they didn't have large floors of collectors mm-hmm. and i felt that uh 
So initially when we started doing it, we just sue people and, and people would call and say, why didn't you call me? And right. Well, we didn't know. And they said, well, you should call me. Right. And so I thought, well, let's hire some people that'll start calling them and tell them we're going to sue them if they don't pay us. Right. And uh, so that started and we were successful with that. And uh, uh, I really felt that a law firm would be more ethical than an agency and mm-hmm. would do a better job. And mm-hmm. they were kind of the final buck, right? They could call mm-hmm. and send letters, but they could also sue. Mm-hmm. So it was the buck stops here. Uh, but I really felt lawyers would be more ethical than agencies because they had their law license to, to mm-hmm. keep. And uh, so that was kind of the impetus for creating lawyers doing phone collections with the ability to sue. And, mm-hmm. and it worked very well for GMAC. Mm-hmm. So you thought through the legal process you were actually upgrading the collection experience because it was more ethical, more professional than your observation of how collection agencies worked. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And then and then collection agencies, though, were more business-oriented. So okay. they had automation, sophistication around high-volume collections where law firms were right. open a file, go through the process, file a lawsuit, get a judgment. And most lawyers, even today, mm-hmm. get a judgment and throw it on the back burner. Uh, I thought, you know, let's work them. Let's try to collect it. And that was the impetus for trying to collect every uh-huh. account. Uh-huh. And what drove you initially to start your own business? Was it just sort of, did this happen or did you have a vision? Or? Uh, through through working with my dad, I really thought that uh, I could scale this nationally and he didn't really want to do it. And uh, I just thought there's a good business here. We can grow. There's a lot of business and there's a lot of attorneys that I could turn into do what we did. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of Collect America. I thought if I could create a company that would go mm-hmm. get the business and right. manage the accounts right. and then have entrepreneurial attorneys that I could farm the accounts out to electronically mm-hmm. and manage them based upon performance, mm-hmm. that would be a, a better a better vehicle. Okay. And so is that why you wanted to try franchising initially? Yeah. Initially, I wanted to build a brand so mm-hmm. people would be proud of- Collect America work, uh, brand. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and working for a company that had a that had a known brand. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, the creditors uh, started to see that and uh, the banks that we would buy from appreciated that. And they were dedicated to us, so mm-hmm. they couldn't work anybody else's business. Mm-hmm. So we kind of controlled them in that respect. Mm-hmm. And we were able to grow it. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with about 30 franchises and over 130, 140 local council firms around the country. And so by definition, each franchisee put in their own equity and what did you give in the system or what did you bring as the integrator? Yeah, so we would, we would bring them the systems and then the business. Okay. And that was uh, sort of the deal. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't guarantee them any business because if they didn't perform, obviously. But, right. but they were all entrepreneurs and so they owned their own business and I think that's what got us such, such uh, great success. success. Because by definition then, they're all owners and you didn't have to worry about managing performance too much because it managed itself. Is that fair or is that... A, that's too simplistic a view of franchise. I think that was an ideal perspective. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, any of you things to eighty twenty rules. So we initially had we had right. to really start to vet attorneys right. better because we got some of the attorneys that weren't as hardworking as some of the others. Right. So then we set up competition within the states. Uh huh. What were some of the obstacles to growing that franchise network you encountered? Oh my gosh, the the one that's kind of the funniest is uh, I was the only law firm in the franchise network and we really had one client so i'd go try to sell a franchise to somebody in la mm-hmm. and they're like oh so you're a national network of attorneys yeah pretty much mm-hmm. and i said but if you know and i said well how many do you have and i said well just me but if you come on we'll have two and then i can go get, <laughs> i can go get some business in LA. Oh, you, 
and, and I had the same problem with the uh, with the credit granters, right? right? So they'd say, your national network, yeah, what do you have? Just in Denver. Um, so it was the catch chicken or the egg chicken, for yeah. about four right. years. Okay, and I couldn't I couldn't sell one, and it was really hard to buy paper or get clients. Uh-huh. So was it your own capital that you used to start up? It was Collect America, yeah. okay. and, and you know we didn't really have any capital. So I remember making payroll on a credit card and not getting paid for two or three years, and okay. my wife looking at me, "How long is this going to go on?" Uh-huh. And, uh, uh-huh. But she's great and supportive, and mm-hmm. we're still doing that today. So it was so. primarily then collections at first. You got into debt buying later. a little a little bit later, a little bit yeah, later, a little right? Bit later. Um, I mean, so did you have a lot of sleepless nights so during this initial startup phase? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, started at 04 and we didn't make money. I mean, started at 94 and didn't make money till 2000. So I had six years of six years of, of tough, losing money where losing. I could have, where I was a failure every day and, and it wasn't working. Oh my gosh! So I had six years of days to quit, and and I, I speak a lot to kids, and I think you, you know it, if you have a good business plan and you know it should work, you're just trying to figure out how to get there. Uh-huh. You just don't quit. I didn't. I didn't ever think I was going to quit. I, I just knew that maybe I wasn't quite there. I hadn't figured it out. Um, so for six years, yeah, you're never quite there. And you're always and adjusting, right? You're trying yeah. to figure, do it a little different. Okay, this didn't work. Let me try something else. And and so that's a right. six-year failure. And you have every day for six years. Do you quit? Uh huh. Uh-huh. It never dawned on me. I even had people like, "How much longer are you going to do this?" And it's kind of like, "Gosh, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh-huh. This is what I do. I'll figure it out." But uh-huh. I am persistent. So Success can always be around the corner. You just yeah. can't see it, and yeah. so you you've got to be. Well, we talked a little bit the other day about success not being linear. So it's not a direct trade-off. So you can do 90% of the work and still have zero or five or 10% of the success. And then all of a sudden it trips. And that's a great quote, Scott, that you gave me that uh, work and the outcome are not in They're not linear. Left, no, not I mean, linear, you, so. you, uh, and usually it catches up really quick, right? You do uh-huh. a lot of work. It's the 10,000 hour rule. You know, you mm-hmm. practice, 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 and suddenly you're an overnight sensation. So, of course, it doesn't, the opposite isn't true either, that not working is linear. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you still have to do the hard work. You know the but your, own, your yes. point is, it's never guaranteed. No, it's never um, guaranteed. But you, you didn't stop. So, you had that grit and that perseverance. Uh, to get through all that so uh, but now why did you all right so why did you abandon uh, i guess the collect america franchise model because at one point you changed right yeah so um uh did a did a, a partial sale of the company in 06 um and uh in 08 and 09 kind of pre-recession we had doubled the value of the company uh, between 06 and 08. Uh-huh. And, uh, By the way, who did you sell it to? Uh, yeah, the the private equity partner was KRG Capital. And actually, I went to school KRG, with one of the right. principals. And uh-huh. We held an auction, and so they okay. were the successful. But I, I knew the principals. Okay. And uh, great Denver-based firms. So, okay, KRG. Yeah. Okay. That was 06, and then in 08. So then in 08, uh, we were getting ready to do a, an IPO at about a 3x multiple of what we sold uh, the company for two years ago. And... 30 days later, the financial crisis hit. So, uh-huh. uh, that didn't happen. So how how did you deal with that? I mean, that was, I guess, our m- most major recession since the Depression. Now, sometimes that could be good for collections, depending on how you look at it, or very bad. So we triggered every financial covenant that we had, obviously. And okay. uh, we had collections over 90 days drop in half. Uh-huh. Uh, when you say covenants, uh, was it just on the equity side or also on the debt that you the, leveraged? Just on the on the debt, on principally. The debt. Okay. And um, 
our equity partners are great. So as we're flying around the country with uh, okay. our, to, to meet all the banks, I remember going into a beautiful five or six story building that was a hedge fund and the building was empty and it was mm-hmm. a $16 billion hedge fund mm-hmm. that had had $10 billion in re- redemptions in the last six months. So there's like five guys in the building. Oh no. And we sit across a table that's 10 feet wide and uh, I give my hour and a half speech about how I'm going to turn this around and we're going to fix it. And he, again, I got the other son. He goes, you are going to write a check to me before you leave. Did you? No. <laughs> and they ended up uh, yeah. agreeing and we refinanced the company and it started growing again. But did you lose control then at that no, point? No. So it was still with KRG and uh, we just we just got, we kind of restructured the debt at okay. that point. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, early 09, mid 09. At that point, we really wanted to grow it, and we figured that the market would be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, I'm a little Denver guy. Mm-hmm. I want to go get a professional, somebody mm-hmm. that's a professional CEO. Mm-hmm. And we went and hired a, a gentleman and uh, that we felt was a professional. Mm-hmm. And so he ran the company starting in 09. I resigned mm-hmm. as uh, mm-hmm. president and, and CEO, and he, mm-hmm. he ran the company. And uh, then he decided to rebrand the company. And, oh, uh, so that was his decision, was not his yours. Decision, yeah. From Collect America to Square, Square Two. two. Oh, so. What was behind the name change? Um, I think he wanted a more marketable brand. He he spent a lot of money on uh, marketing that I spent zero money on, and he really felt we needed a presence to the banks and to the to our our sellers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he felt that we were not in the collection business, we're in the debt buying business, and we mm-hmm. weren't just in America. We had the largest um, debt collection, debt buying firm mm-hmm. in Canada as well. So mm-hmm. he felt it didn't it didn't match. And I think that's a fair comment. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, so he we rebranded it Square Two Financial. Okay. So that didn't necessarily reflect a giant change in direction. More marketing. Yeah, more marketing, and then he obviously spent a lot of money on on branding and yep. awareness right. to to the public. Okay. So, so, but the direction stayed the same. I mean, we branched out into some other verticals, but right, uh, right. yeah. So at that point, you were pretty much aligned with you, know, you were on the board, and you were aligned with the new CEO. And yeah, I, I, again, um, whenever you hire somebody, you as as an owner and a founder, you, it's tough. And so, did I want to change the name? No, but he was the new CEO, and I had to step back and right. allow him right. to. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to micromanage the CEO, and, right. and uh, again, right. part of the part of this was I want to go get a professional. Well, and right. he was coming in doing some things that right. he felt. So, so I don't know that we were aligned, but I was allowing him to do his to job. exercise the control that we had given right. him. And how many employees did you have then at that point? Uh, probably one hundred and twenty-five. One hundred twenty-five, and the revenue were. Um, well, in no way the revenue was uh, just under six hundred million, and EBITDA was over a hundred million. Wow. With 125 employees. That's so, incredible. Um, so, and how much of that was debt buying versus collection? It was uh, all debt buying. All debt buying all at debt that buying. point. Yeah. Because yeah. you start out just with collections, and then you migrated into debt buying. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was that. all debt buying at that uh-huh. point. So we were collecting $50 million a month. Right. Um, and how much were you buying a year on average? Ooh. Um, yeah, that's going back. Uh, several several. Billion, we'd buy several billion every quarter. Of um, face, and then face, the purchase yeah. price, I mean, so roughly we spending, capital. Yeah, we were spending uh, two, three, four hundred million a year. Two, 
two, three hundred, or four hundred a million a year, a year. Of, depending on the year. I mean, but uh-huh. twenty, thirty, forty million a month. Uh huh. Uh huh. And did you uh, have a process in place of underwriting that was um, unique to Square Two, or we felt we did? We had a good database. We had good. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate and worked with some brilliant people, and and. Uh, try to stay out of their way and let them let them do their jobs but mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think we had good underwriting we had solid solid returns and we had a good database that would allow us to model and, mm-hmm. and then scoring was coming out and, and mm-hmm. we used a lot of different variables to mm-hmm. uh, we created our own scoring models and it worked very well uh-huh and was there still a process uh even with you on the board where you could have some oversight then uh to the investments or how did you yeah, try to manage to that transition while you want to let the CEO do his job but at the same time you still have a lot of equity in the company right because yeah, you only sold partial part of it yep. in 2009 right I sold a very or, oh, or 06. Oh, 06, I'm sorry. I sold a very small piece of it and uh yeah so I was other than the private equity firm I was the second largest shareholder and right. uh no we had uh uh, my title that that was uh, I think advisor special advisor to the to the president and CEO so mm-hmm. I was his assistant mm-hmm. uh, but basically I was in uh, purchasing committees down the hall from him he didn't he he listened to me he would get advice for probably six months and uh, and then it kind of veered away okay which uh, you, you started to see a different span of control just. Right. Uh, but there are times, did you really want to intervene when you saw maybe some investments in portfolios that you didn't agree with? or It was less about that, and it was more about uh, out-of-control spending. Okay. And uh, Spending on portfolios or operational? No, I'm sorry. Operationally, operational spending. salaries. Oh, okay. Uh, just you name it. Yep. They saw a need to have one. And, okay. Uh, um, I think also we overpaid partners to collect okay. by probably... Um, if the market's twenty twenty one, we were paying them thirty five okay. percent of every dollar collected. Okay, and uh, you know probably for fresh, for fresh paper. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And I said, that's, you know, that's we don't high. have to do that. It's way high. Right. I mean, and right. so, right. Uh, and he just said, this isn't your little debt buying company anymore. This is, uh, and we're making so much money that uh, mm. um, mm-hmm. it's fine. I said, well, it doesn't matter. We're making a lot of money. We need to right need to not pay out. Right. And you were outsourcing a hundred percent. Right, square two outsourced one hundred percent. Never had any out to the franchises. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. To the so, were they the same franchises as Collect America or? Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. we'd add some and right. their, their migration and and uh, we we kick some out from time to so time. So the franchises these were making good money then. Oh, thirty five percent. Yeah, they yeah. were making good money at twenty twenty one, and they were making <laughs> right. Yeah, actually, it's kind of ironic. The franchises approached the company quite often and said mm-hmm. uh, you don't need to pay us this and he said, we're fine so whoa yeah well so that's when yeah, you knew you had a was, problem yeah i knew he had a problem and and uh it just it wasn't it wasn't his money and he didn't act like it was his money and i, I think there was uh you know he was a banker so there was a lot of uh we're better than bill collectors and, right. and that came across we're better and, than uh, you mm-hmm. yeah yeah what what i'm hearing Scott, is that what's interesting is when you first started out and you had six years of no income, personal income, and you were so confident, though, that you were still going to succeed. I mean, 
were you you weren't really worried. You just said it's going to take longer. Is that right? In hindsight, it might have been stupidity, but but yeah, I well intentioned stupidity. Well intentioned. I'm persistent. So persistent. So you weren't. Yeah, I mean, you weren't. You were. You had probably some sleepless nights, but you knew in the end you were going to succeed. And so, what's interesting is now go back to you know 2009, 10, 11. Were there moments now where you were worried? That, I mean, you you were starting to see bad things. Were you worried then that your company, your baby, was going to fail? Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think I knew in 2012, early 2013, that if we didn't drastically change course, mm-hmm. um, we weren't going to make it. Mm-hmm. And drastically change course meant the the collection service fees you were paying. But what else was it? Uh, something strategic or in the management so, of the organization so when we went i mean you kind of put it in perspective we go from spending 20 30 40 million a month with 300 people uh-huh. to spending 5 million a month with 280 people so wow. a headcount was way 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 inflated and bloated and and uh and, and again very very good talented people but there was a there was a failure to to reduce the size of the company given the market the, the market because the market drove down the deployments correct. right or the spent the, 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 the purchases spend, yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, or because, or I could think that maybe you got more conservative in your underwriting. Maybe prices were rising, and so Square Two decided maybe we better not be paying these prices. And, and we did. I mean, we backed away from the market, but right. but again, as as we're as our revenues declining, the uh, you didn't take out any didn't, the headcount, the people. No. no. Yeah. Um, and, and that was painfully obvious uh, across mm-hmm. the board. Really starting at about twenty. Uh, 13 so okay. a year a year after that because it just isn't it wasn't changing okay so that really must have been painful for you as the it was founder. horribly painful it uh-huh. was horribly painful and and uh you know a lot of for me it was more what do i do as a founder and as a uh as a shareholder as mm-hmm. a major shareholder mm-hmm. and as a board of director and mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've taken grief from from some people that why didn't you leave and and you know, I, I thought about that. I thought about having the stand up on the table mm-hmm. uh, in a boardroom. This is crazy. We got to do something faster. And, right. Um, you know, I voiced my opinion in the boardroom, and uh, there was nine people in there, and they disagreed with me. And I thought, you know, sometimes I thought maybe I was wrong. Uh-huh. That, that I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. There's a lot of smart people sitting around this table, and they're telling me that I need to relax and it'll work out. But it didn't. It didn't. And so it was was in 2016 that it filed for bankruptcy or uh, early 17 early 17 yeah okay filed for yeah. bankruptcy and that's when research bought it correct for 250 million something so, like that yeah yes. and I guess what four or five years before that it was probably worth how much at its peak oh well we had we had uh, gotten an offer in 2011 for 800 million oh wow some so it dropped from yeah. 800 million to 250. And, and, a, and a bankruptcy, yeah. yeah and a bankruptcy. <laughs> I didn't get the 250. Yeah. And I guess, were you interested to buy back your baby? Uh, I did. I was one of the one of the bidders uh, uh-huh. uh, at the end. But you didn't want to pay as much as Resurgent, so. Um, that's not true. It just, uh, I think Resurgent was uh, there and ready to write the check, and we needed a little bit more time, and, and um, they were able to execute quicker than I was. And part of my dilemma in repurchasing it was I was going to have to do what Resurgent did, which is really effectively gut the company. I would have kept 30 or 40 people, 50 people, some Uh smaller number. 
but I didn't know if the banks would buy from us because they were going to wash it out of bankruptcy, irrespective of who bought it. Okay. And I was worried that the banks would not would walk away would walk away from us or say, "Come visit us in three years when you're when you're, you know, you're going to be around." Yeah. Right. Right. So where it That's was absorbed good. into resurgent, and, and right. obviously they're capable of buying. Right. So. Wow. That 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 must have been so hard for you. It was very hard to try to hard. buy back your company, and then you yeah. couldn't. Well, while we had two hundred at that point, they started letting people go, and we probably had. 180, 200 people, but yeah, you know, these are people that I'd been with the company for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it was also personally painful, not just professionally in your pride, but your personally to see people that you probably had worked with in the past lose their jobs, especially when it didn't have to happen. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very, very sad because it was a great company, lots of great people. I mean, people are all over the industry today. Uh-huh. Uh, doing a great job for other other businesses, and it's it's happy for me to see them move on and be in great roles, but uh, mm-hmm. still tough because we didn't it didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to 2018, uh, you acquired Galaxy, the debt buyer and master servicer. Um, I, I can't resist the pun, but are you going from square two to square one now? <laughs> I couldn't resist. I sorry. No, that was that was a little touchy. back to square That's one. A little touchy, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, actually like the humor so uh-uh. it's good <laughs> um yeah. very much to the point so and you know you don't need the money so you're not doing this for the transaction right I, I, you don't need the money because you still did really well with your first sale maybe not as well as you wanted but correct you still did well and correct. very successful and yeah. so so why are you going back for more so, punishment so, or it's not punishment because right, it's right. not a transaction. It's not a transaction. Your your slogan is absolutely correct. I love to see I'm probably a, a, have an ability to see where I want to go and and describe that or explain it to people who will then believe in the process and and so it's it's allowed me and, and the company to hire really, really great people. Mm-hmm. And I try to get out of their way and let mm-hmm. them execute. So I try to explain the vision. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if they're joining us, they believe in it. That's how we grew Collect America to, to the size we did. We just just fantastic people that really believed in it and creating mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. And so really, this, this square one mm-hmm. redo or encore mm-hmm. yeah. is, uh, <laughs> is, another pun. is uh, yeah. a way to gather, again, great people and uh, work with some fun people. And I love the business. I think the business is fun. There's so many levers to pull. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the compliance models now. Uh, really? Firms are compliant. Because it's much more difficult now. There's so many more barriers to entry with compliance being what it is. Why, why do you love that? Because in the early days, I, I used to joke that if you had the keys to the office, uh-huh. you made a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, you just show up and you made money. That there was there was enough margin in it back then. So now it's as the business has matured, mm-hmm. you've got to be serious about the business. Uh, you've got to always stay focused on it, mm-hmm. and uh, the barriers to entry are much higher. So you don't get people that just say, "Geez, what about this step buying? I heard it's great, right. and and they right. have some money, and they come in and they compete with you." And no, the barriers to entry are high. You have to have compliance management systems that are mm-hmm. robust. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. I think that's great. But it takes now so much longer, doesn't it, to bring on to be onboarded by one of the major banks to be able to either collect or buy from them. So it does. But then again, because it does take longer, that mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're doing what you say you're doing and you are right. compliant and you can perform inside of a band uh-huh, and pay uh-huh. that pay that debt back and, uh-huh. and make money. Uh, they're not going to leave you either. Right. 
You said people are, you know, the most important decisions or uh, part of the building a business. Uh, how do you hire people, and how how have you developed like an organizational vision for your new company? Uh, that's a great question. I, um, I partnered with uh, some some great people, um, Greg Enerson and Bill Sturm, and, and um, these guys are uh, just just geniuses and built a very successful law firm. That's in 25 states and and represents it's a, a collection law firm. It's a collection law okay. firm. Yes, and uh, just fantastic individuals. And so, I, th- I think we all have the same thinking of we want to build a great company mm-hmm. uh, on the debt buying side mm-hmm. that, that allows allows us to continue and execute at a high level. So you must so have shared vision or shared values or shared goals. Exactly, all of those, oh, and, okay. and, and also on on how we think about. Uh, business and people and for me culture is really important um, and you've got to have people that want to work there that are excited about growing that believe in your vision mm-hmm. and Greg and Bill are mm-hmm. they epitomize that mm-hmm. they work very hard and they wanted it right and they have uh, a lot of clients that uh, they give them business so, so right. they're doing that and how, how do you build culture in your new company I just think I think it's uh, I think it's simple and it's hard it's the things you learned in elementary school, how to play well with others in the sandbox. You've got to genuinely like people. You've mm-hmm. got to genuinely respect people. Mm-hmm. You've got to have people believe in your vision and believe in you, and mm-hmm. then they'll push you. Because they're carrying us there. I'm, I don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They they make sure that we get there as an organization. And mm-hmm. so if they believe in that, and uh-huh. the vision and the people, mm-hmm. they'll pick you up and walk you through there. Mm-hmm. So so it's 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 culture is is respecting people it's a golden rule. It's, mm-hmm. it's treating people as you would want to be treated. Right. But genuinely, it's, it's right. easy to say it. Yeah. But, but you've got to believe it and feel right. it and then do things for people. Uh-huh. So what will be different about how Scott Lowry, the CEO of the new company, by the way, are you still keeping the Galaxy name or is it going to be called something different? We're, we're keeping the Galaxy name. Obviously, we would have to re-letter uh, a lot of accounts if we changed the name. Oh, so, that's um, very practical. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. I hadn't yes, thought of that. Yes. So, um, so we keep the same management styles you had when you built Collect America and Square Two, or yeah, I think so. It's very, uh, it's obviously formalized org chart, but um, everybody's got their function, and I respect those functions. And and uh, I think I'm more strategic and okay. visionary, and just as the older man in the room, I right. can I I've been there and done that a little bit, and uh-huh. I get that respect from the team for that. Okay. Which, uh, again, younger guys with more energy can do certain things, and then right. the older guy with maybe a little bit more uh, yeah. marks on his back is able to uh, yeah. to help them understand more long-term. Give and, them perspective. Uh, give them perspective. Uh-huh. So your decision-making management style probably won't change uh, from what you started out with initially? Not at all. Uh, I, I can tell you I'll no longer want to have a professional run the company okay. uh, as a third party. I'll not right. encourage that. You know, I think when you really care, mm-hmm. that's that's really what you've got to do. You've got to mm-hmm. watch, watch things and, mm-hmm. and care, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's in your hands, and you take good mm-hmm. care of it. And right now, the equity, I guess, is it all yours, or is it no, no, your partners? No, no, so my partners, yeah. That's and then a we have a combination. What, yeah, mm-hmm. um, some outside investors, and uh, yeah, yep. but it's it's closely held. And you'll leverage your equity as you did before? Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, and, and competitive advantage in your new company, what will be kind of vision or strategy to separate you from the pack? Um, so several things. I think, um, again, creating that culture, 
creating a little bit different uh, mindset in the, in the, um, in the business. I, I'm a believer that every day you've got to come and do it better. Uh, no matter whether it's compliance, performance, uh, people, mm-hmm. you're always pushing underwriting you know, and underwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just kind of every area that, that matters, cost control, mm-hmm. um, but yet I'm not afraid to spend money to make money, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's important. You, mm-hmm. you don't want to lose sight of where you're trying to get to, so you become so frugal that mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't move. Mm-hmm. But I think we have an ability uh, to collect, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to use that ability and leverage that ability so we mm-hmm. can control our costs, mm-hmm. control the collection side of it, and then really leverage, leverage the great talent that we have in the company. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, the headquarters will still be in Denver, but you'll have a location in Atlanta. Yeah, so so Galaxy, so, um, Galaxy is in Atlanta. Uh, Denver is principally a call center for the law firm. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then I go back and forth between okay. both of those. And companies. you'll keep the systems that Galaxy had? You're, you're not going to... Yeah, I mean, convert we've, them we've, to something uh, else. No, no. I think uh, I think we've moved them more to a co-location facility. They were in house, and we've we've moved some of that around. But no, we, we'll keep the same systems. Right, right. They're working well, and there's a ton mm-hmm. of inventory on them. And I think it, at this point, it'd be right. dis- disruptive. And can move. you share your financial goals for the new company? What your Yeah, I, I think the I think the market again is is where it was 15 years ago. Um, again, that good. Okay. Uh, I think it's. I think it's tremendous. Again, you've got. It's harder to compete today, mm-hmm. but the people that are in it. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got more more mm-hmm. bandwidth for scale. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a whole bunch of people. You don't have five hundred debt buyers. You've got some right. number less. So right. I think they've only going to go to a handful of people. And charge offs are increasing, yep. which they are. You know, the selling of debt. I think. I think the banks are going to start. Not maybe going there a hundred percent, but I think more mm-hmm. banks will sell right. at least a part of their inventory. Right. Um, and and if any of the big banks come back, right, uh, that haven't yet, okay. I think that'll moderate prices a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I'm super excited about where the market is today. Okay. Again, if you're in, you're in, and you've got good systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't want to be on the outside looking in, mm-hmm. but I think if you're in, mm-hmm. uh, the market's unbelievable, and and I want to grow. The Galaxy into a, into a very large company. So similar to what Square Two was. Correct. I mean, not in the outcome, but your, your original on, on vision the, on the on, yeah. the on the revenues. Yes, right, right. Yes, and so you go after similar asset classes to large credit card portfolios, or will you pursue more niche purchases I think as both. well? Both. I think both. Okay. I think we want to be nimble and be okay. able to go where the sellers are. Okay. So then ultimately you'll be competing with the publicly traded companies then if um, PRA and Encore and... Yeah, I don't really want to do that. I think there's enough market uh, out there for us to not compete okay. for a long time. Okay. So maybe yeah. initially you're focused on kind of the upper, upper middle market segments? I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Now we want to consciously not compete um, right. with them. Head to head with them. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a lot of business uh, able to be obtained. Mm-hmm. And, and again, if you look at a lot of the debt buyers, I think they've got their corner of the market and they're happy and they're not at risk in terms of they don't want to grow. Right. Um, I fail a lot because I push a lot. Mm-hmm. And and so I want to grow this business. And mm-hmm. I think in order to grow it, you've got to push. and, and uh, But do it temperately and, and mm-hmm. with, with thought. Mm-hmm. But but not be happy with my little corner of the world. I think we can right. uh, grow into a, a, a meaningful company. So wrapping it up for our, our listeners, what 
Uh, I got two more questions for you. What are then the lessons learned, if you could summarize, in the last few decades of this very colorful, kind of bit of a roller coaster career you've had in in debt buying, and you're about to do it again? What what then for would you? How would you summarize the good and the bad? What lessons learned can our listeners gain from you? Well, I think. Um you know, when you look at there's several things. There's business lessons and life lessons, and then just human lessons. And and I think you parse those down. And and business, you focus on what matters, and and people know what those things are. I mean, revenue, expenses, doing a good job, focusing mm-hmm. on your people. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I just listed three things. Like there, you check the right. box, but you really have to do that, uh-huh. and, and you have to do it day in and day out with consistent focus. Um, on the people side, it's it's just. Trying to hire the best people. And, and again, hiring people that are better than you, mm-hmm. that's easy for me to do. But mm-hmm. I think you have to just, just constantly look for, for right. great people that believe in your vision. Right. And then just on the market, and you just got to stay focused and, mm-hmm. and, and, and work with where you're at. And I think part of it is not, not get sidetracked into what you want, mm-hmm. but be aware of your environment and what you're able to do and then operate within that. So sometimes you don't get to do what you want to do because the market won't give you that. Okay. But again, the golden rule, I mean, I think the life lessons are, are simple. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing complex about them. We all want to mm-hmm. be treated fairly. Uh, we mm-hmm. all want to be given an opportunity. And uh, we all want to be a part of success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I guess, quoting you again, remember that the relationship between work and outcome is not linear. Unfortunately. So it's meaning it's not guaranteed. Just because you're working hard, that's not enough. That's right. It's not. So you've got to be, what, at the right place, the right time? And then work really, really hard. And then, and then work really, really hard. And, and get a lot of luck, I think. Yeah. If you, if and not you, give up, though. And, and not, not give, give up. up no. Which you did not give up for those six years six during years. that. that even the last five years. You know, when we were when Square Two was having its difficulty, I stayed there. And, uh-huh. and again, uh, right. I, I would have been better off personally if I'd have left. If you'd left, um, but I, I couldn't. Do you that. couldn't leave your your baby there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So you still got a very long runway with your new company, but uh, someday, decades from now, how, how would you like your obituary written? <laughs> what would you like to be remembered for? Oh gosh. Um, you know, my family is so important to me, and, and uh, I've got an awesome wife. Again, when you don't get paid for many years, and uh, even recently when you don't get paid for many years, and she, she puts up with that and never – I travel a lot, and she's mm-hmm. fine with all that. Great kids who work for us. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's probably number one is, is my family and, mm-hmm. and my faith. You know, lover of people and, and uh, want to do good, want to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who did that, who gave of his time. And, and I think I want to make sure that I treated the people that I came into contact with fairly mm-hmm. and, and helped them in mm-hmm. some way mm-hmm. with a, a life lesson or a suggestion or, or just a pat on the back and, mm-hmm. and an encouragement. Which doesn't read well on a, on a rock, but... Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that begs another question. Yeah, what would you want on the rock? <laughs> he went from square two to square one. No, right. no, no. He did an encore. He did an encore. He did an encore. Yes. Even better than maybe the original. Oh. Well, Scott, thank you for this fascinating interview and, and sharing these incredible stories with us this afternoon here at the RMA conference in Las Vegas. You know, someday you really should write about all this. You've got you've had such an exciting journey and track record that clearly is not finished. So I, I can't wait to see the sequel. I, I really can't. And uh, so we're looking forward to watching you in the years ahead and tracking your new company, your new team, and the new success that I knew Noah was awaiting you. Thank, thank you very you, much. Scott. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you. I 
appreciate it. Thank Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to this special episode of the Capital Club Radio Show with your host, Michael Flock, and his guests live from the 2019 RMA International Conference at the Ario Resort Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, made possible again in part by Flock Specialty Finance, more than a transaction. For more info, visit flockfinance.com. To listen to this rebroadcast and other episodes, visit capitalclubradio.com.